He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy, The media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today, I sat down with Jermaine O'Neal to discuss his Netflix documentary called Untold, The Malice at the Palace, which does something that the media as a whole failed to do back in 2004. It tells the whole story from everyone's perspective who was involved. The fans, security, police, players, everyone was interviewed in this documentary. This is the complete viewpoint everyone should have been privy to back in 2004. This is a great discussion. Hope you enjoy. Mr. Jermaine O'Neal, how you doing, sir? Doing pretty good, brother. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for coming on the show, the rematch with uh, basketballnews.com and Fly TV. Um, you know, we just watched the um, the untold Malice at the Palace. I watched it with my whole family. Um, I got to say, phenomenal. Great job. Um, you know, my kids, it's interesting because you know, my kids were, of course, not born when that happened, but they were so into it and so many questions. And some of their questions I'm actually asked because they were asking good questions. But um, let me first ask you, um, how did this come about? You were the executive producer of this. So how did that all come about? Well, honestly, brother, man, first, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, always good to be talking to you know fellow alumni of a special league, the NBA, you know, it's, it's a special league and uh a lot of people may not understand that, but um, right. and and shout out to everything that you're doing, man. I, I follow you. I see, you know, your voice. I hear your voice, man. I think we need more people like you as well in the space. But I appreciate it. I um, appreciate it. I've looked at. I've tried to do this doc uh, honestly for about maybe eight to ten years, and I sat down with different directors, different you know producers, and and interviewed them, and it just didn't come at the level. You know, it came more of an attack, either attack on the NBA or the Pacers or whatever it was, the fans, um, and not telling, being able to put together a doc to tell the truth. Mm. Right? And so, you know, one of the things I wanted to do is put together a doc that spoke that, that spoke about what actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know, not have a conversation with Jack, Bron, you know, anybody else who was involved make sure that we put, reach out to everybody, you know, put them on a platform and they talk candidly and openly about their, how they sold that particular night and what actually happened. 
uh, shout out to Netflix because um, it was a long list of, of interviews that I've done over the years um, because it really bothered me that people were still celebrating it as these crazy anniversaries. They have no idea what that did to, you know, people's lives and cities and opportunity. And it was just a lot of loss that was um, that was um, implemented after that, at that after that particular night. So uh, once we got out of the uh, legal criminal part of it, Mm-hmm. 10 years like literally my last legal ended in the 10th year and so I couldn't we couldn't talk about it right we couldn't say anything couldn't you know without compromising not only the legal part but most importantly the civil part was everybody was suing right so you say the wrong thing you know one of those 10 15 million dollar lawsuits because people say they can't see or emotionally distraught based off what they saw on television Right. right, they saw in the stands. We just—it was a crazy time. Um, but I will say this: E is that after I got out of that that ten-year period, I was so burnt out. Like I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to be involved with it. And when the, when the anniversaries kept poke, you know, kept coming out, it was like poking at me. So I'm looking at the same three, the same three, four clips. One was me sliding, punching, mm-hmm. punching. Mm-hmm. One punching, right? The black kid crying with the with the mom holding on to him, right? The white guy laying on the floor. Yep, right? that's all you saw. That's what they showed. Right, it was nothing else. So I started saying, you know what? Let, let, let me let me have let me have my voice heard and have a conversation. Uh, so I was able to get with Netflix again. Shout out to Netflix, um, the Way Brothers, Floyd Russ, the, the director, phenomenal job mm. on capturing the vision. Uh, I remember sitting down with those guys and saying, hey, we got to tell an Academy Award winning story. Right. It's solely off the truth. Right. We don't want to meet with nobody. We shot every scene was shot separately. Mm-hmm. None of us never was together. Mm. when We shot it. So um, it was it, the story was told. Um, information uh, was there. I did not want to do a doc that was for the avid basketball fan. Um, I wanted to do a doc that was. Uh, for the person that follows basketball, um, but doesn't follow basketball, but know of what happened that night. Let me let me let me ask you this, because um, this is one of the first questions that that was coming up was why wasn't all this footage shown before? There was so much footage that you that you showed during the documentary, and it was stuff that people had never seen. So people, a lot of people didn't even know that you had a chair thrown at you, and they just thought that it was just players going and attacking the fans, and the fans were all helpless. And like you said, show the little kid crying, that, but they knew nothing else. Why was all of that footage kept secret for so long? Well, um, honest is even more footage. Um, we only had a hour and eight minutes uh, on this doc, and yeah, I got to say shout out to Rasheed Wallace. And um, and Larry Brown, who who uh, gratefully um, did the doc, but didn't make it right. Something had to come in, and something had to come out. We couldn't get lit. It was so much stuff that we, we lit. I'm like salty because I can't put this in. Uh, you know, got to take this. Like it was just really nowhere around it. But um, all of that information was there for, since day one, right? And so when I went through my process, and when I originally you know, started to figure this out. 
is right when we went through the process of the suspensions. Okay. Uh, right away, my I got you know because we all had our different legal teams, and right away I got my lawyers and and asked like, there's no way that they can say what I did was in the floor of a game. Right. That's that when I what I when I did what I did, or even when Jack did what he did, right. The game's over. Right. Right. People were already on the court trying to cause harm. Mm-hmm. And I would say this. The NBA is a very special place. You know, it's given us an opportunity to even be sitting here and having this conversation and do anything that we do on a day-to-day basis. The NBA did not have a template to use for something like that at the time. Did not. Right. And right. it was they were under extreme pressure, extreme pressure uh, from uh, the public, uh, from the media. It was an all-out blitz from the media um, to uh, change the image. And to me, the image was black culture, right? They, they that, was, that was no longer good, you know, for them in their eyes. And, and the NBA just was like, you know, that right away they had to respond. And it was a quick-to-judgment scenario. And, and, and I think that's what bugged me out, you know, the most – uh, because I knew when I when I started my appeal process, you know, with taking the NBA to court, I'm watching all the footage, mm-hmm. right? I did not expect for that footage to come out even during that time because everything was so toxic, right? And and I understand from a business standpoint, it's about bottom bottom line numbers in that, especially that business as well. But at some point, I, I felt like. Something should have been said, and you know when things calm down and 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 you know show people something different. But um, the book was already written from the media standpoint. They got they did what they wanted to do and say what they wanted to say, not knowing or choosing not to even do any more research on who won the civil cases, who you know who won the criminal cases. Right. I was reinstated, made the All Star game, all of that mm-hmm. same year, right? Uh, but you know ne- nobody never even heard about that, so. I'm not sure why, you know, why I was. I think it was more of them trying to get away from that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so they just chose not to do it. But see, what well, that's what made your documentary so special is because you did it without a slant. You included people in the documentary that, to be quite honest, I was a little surprised that you even included them. Um, the first one was Charlie Haddad. Mm-hmm. That is how I say his name. He was the fan. So he was the fan who stormed the court um, afterwards and, you know, was right in front of Meta and then Meta punched him. Um, and you included his perspective. Right. And that that was, that that's something that, that shows real journalism. You're not trying to do it with a slant. You're including all these different perspectives. What went into you, including him in particular? Well, I think in order to do a true doc and, and tell a true story, you have to put the people that were involved in that particular night uh, in front of the camera. Um, whether you know you agree on what they say or not, um, he's a part of that process. Um, so we need to get him on, um, and anybody else, you know, whether it's the prosecutors or whoever it may be um, that were involved in that particular, you know, incident, um, to really give people, you know, a complete view. Uh, we'd love to get John Green on as well, but uh, he declined. He's the only one that actually declined um, to get on. Um, but you know. He's, he's, he, he told his piece and um, it was crazy that he said what he said. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, 
uh, he was he was one of the reasons he was the reason why, you know, I uh, was suspended because I have to go protect my teammate to go hit him because he's him and his homeboys trying to fight, you know, my guys. Right. And, you know, he showed no remorse. I mean, not, you know, my my daughter was watching that and was like, he got his nerve. He didn't even say sorry. And that that's the part that is kind of interesting. Even this many years, even when you talk about John Green. I mean, he's smiling and joking about it and saying, yeah. you know, the, the the reporter, I guess, that was interviewing him was asking him, well, do you feel bad that you were the one who threw the cup and, you know, Meta came out and ran past you and went to the other guy? And he was like, well, the only thing I, you know, feel bad about is I didn't trip him. And I was just like, wow. But I really yeah. wish they would have shown those images of the fans back then because all it was was vilifying the players, and they 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 treated the fans as if nobody did anything wrong. The fans were just innocent bystanders, and then the players just started attacking them. But I'm glad that you presented both sides. So that was really that was really amazing that you that you were able to do that. Yeah, you know, I, it was interesting. You know, a lot of people didn't even know, even from Jack's perspective, like people didn't know he when he originally went in the stands, he didn't throw a punch until the beer was thrown in their faces. Right. Right. People thought that Jack went up there and just started swinging. He went up there and the first thing he did was grab Ron. Mm-hmm. Right. And then as soon as he went to grab Ron, the big cup of beer went in his face, in Ron's face. And that, you know, at that point, you, you know, the human nature is going to take over. But, um, you know, I, that, that entire situation, um, it, it was – it always had a special place inside of me that bothered me, right? And I say special because um, only a situation like that um, can make you feel the way you feel and the way I felt. Um, it ate away from me f- for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you work, you work so hard in your life to put yourself in a position um, to be of substance, um, and to have people that wasn't even there right. or didn't even do their 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 job um, tear that apart mm-hmm. like in a split moment i I didn't choose to be in that situation I inherit inherited that situation right. um, and that's the thing that people needed to understand right like we you know we did so much you know I, and I, I I talk about myself on, on the situation did so much in my communities. Um, both where I'm from, uh, South Columbia, South Carolina, and also where I played at um, in Indianapolis, right? And to hear people say criminal thug, mm-hmm. you know, hooligans, like acting, like bit struggling to act right and civilized, you know, right. like, I'm like, what is it? Yeah. What, are you, what are you talking about? And I, And the thing that bothered me the most, and this is something that I think every journalist should really do, Right. Understand the power of the things that you say out of your mouth. Like people mm-hmm. believe in some of the things that you say. Right. As athletes, we have a responsibility to go to to go do the work. Right. So we can deliver on the product that they expect for us to, uh, to deliver on. Right. Uh, also, too, when we when we don't play well. Right. We have to acknowledge when we don't play well. Mm-hmm. Well, where is that in journalism? when you go out and you make decisions or you say things on, on, on camera or national television or locally, regionally, whatever it may be, and you make these statements and you don't have all, you don't even have the information, you're not even educated enough to even speak on it. Yep. 
Now, where's the professionalism when when you know that you you didn't do your work and 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 the story is is now unfolding, and you didn't have the professionalism to come back and say, you know what, I was wrong. Now, now let me ask you this: Have any of those reporters from back then come to you and said that they were wrong? And that's yeah. one. None of them. Not one. Not one person. Not one. Wow. And they and the way that they described you all. And like you said, thugs, menaces, like every word that they use could use. And it's it's very there's a strong correlation there because that is the way that we as black men are described in the media whenever one of us are killed by the police and they're using the same exact language. And that's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, wow. But they never came back to you. Even it's going on two decades and said, you know what? The way that we described this, the way that I wrote about this was incorrect. And I owe you an apology. Nobody, no media, no journalists, just being clear, came to you and said that. No, and and I I don't expect for it to happen. Wow. Because um, many cases, and it's not everybody, because it's some some fantastic, you know, journalists out there, some fantastic... No, no, I'm talking about the specific ones that wrote that about you all. Yeah, 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 but... My, state, my statement was going to, I don't want people to think that when I, when I talk about journalists, I'm talking about them as a body, right? Oh, I got you. People, right? I want to make sure that, you know, people that are listening to, to this, yeah. I'm talking about anybody, whether it was from that night or any other situation that you haven't did your job on, right? Have enough professionalism to come back to the table. Mm-hmm. The same way you walked up to the table when the event happened. We can't have quick to judgment. Let me let me say my my part because I need to be on camera. I need to be the cool guy or the guy that think you know people think no have information. It's people's people's real lives here. Yeah, it's people's careers. It's people you know you know character that's been you know uh, questioned and and butchered to death, assassinated, man, assassinated, bro. And and I'm gonna be honest, like I never like I th- that night a big part of me stayed, mm. right? It stayed. Like I never, I didn't enjoy playing basketball as much as I did before that. And I watched it, you know, have an effect on my mind, body, and soul. Wow. Right? Because I all of, all of a sudden, like, it's like being with a girl or your wife for so long in a relationship. And all of a sudden you don't, you don't feel that same love anymore. Right. Wow. Like, people looking at you different, right? The hugs and the kisses are a little bit different now. Mm-hmm. Right. And you felt that, right? You felt it. And, you know, you could, you know, I continue to play because that's what I am. You know, that's a part of me. That's a pedigree. Like I'm an athlete, right? The game, right? It's special. Right. Right. I still had love for it, but I didn't have the same love for it. Um, and I, as you may know, anything that you are not 100% all the way in mentally, physically, and emotionally, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? And that's what I really, I mean, I can't say it enough about the documentary. I really want to promote it and really encourage everybody to go see it. Um, and you did such a complete job and a thorough job. You know, some networks brag about being fair and balanced, but they're not fair and balanced at all. But you really were. I mean, you also included um, Timothy Smith, who is the director of, of operations for the uh, palace uh, at Auburn Hills. And it's interesting listening to him because he said that he actually had Charlie Haddad and I guess some of his regular, you know, patrons that he attends the games with. He was a season ticket holder. 
but actually had him on like a watch list of some sort mm-hmm. uh, before that night and that he was on the verge of losing his season tickets. Now, again, this is something that should have been made public 20 years ago. But but talk about that aspect. And did you did you even know that before this? Listen, everything that you saw in that doc, I knew when that, I'm talking about the year of I knew I knew that Charlie Haddad was already being watched by the NBA. Um, he was a guy that met, you know, met the teams on the road. You know, he followed the Pistons. He's a loyal Pistons fan, created, you know, all sorts of issues. He, he had a Yao Ming situation in Detroit um, that um, really sparked it. Like he, his plan was to get into it with a uh, NBA player. Like they wanted to sue people. And he actually, he actually sued me. And and here's another thing. And this is actually the first time I it just resonated in my mind. He sued the Pistons and he sued the Pacers. He sued oh. both. Right. So he, he was just litigious. He just wanted to sue everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was. He was saying like he had. He couldn't. He couldn't deal with lights. He couldn't deal with uh, uh, loud noises and bright lights. Loud noises couldn't be around a lot of people. So it's a difference when you sue a millionaire versus a billionaire. Right. Yeah. Big difference. Right. And they tracked him. So he goes to Las Vegas and opens up the win. They have him on, on video. They have him on, they have him have pictures of him. Uh-huh. Well, in the casino, in the brightest, loudest city in the world. Uh-huh. Right. And in your lawsuit, you're saying that you can't leave the house. Oh, I see. <laughs> right. And so it was a lot of things leading up to it. And you would think that. You should start, you know, peeling away the credibility of these people, right? And instead of, you know, peeling away the credibility of the players, yes. Right. If they spend the same type of energy and time and effort into doing the same thing, and 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 e, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, like, I knew right away there was some punishment needed that, that was going that was going to be needed to be given out. Right. No question mm-hmm. that, that was going to happen. I thought maybe okay, three, four games, you know, and I'm back. Right. Man, when they handed down that twenty five, bro, right away, I went in defense mode. I was like, bro, like, so y'all not gonna y'all not gonna show the guy jump the, the the usher jumping on my back, right, right, putting his arm around my neck, mm-hmm. and coming out slamming him on the table. Coming out of that, my teammates grabbed me, and we just happened to look, and now you can see us actually look and then run over there, right. And so that was never even that was never even showed, but um, I'm you know. To me, yeah, I'm, I'm at peace right now when it comes to moving on. Uh, I'm now able to have the conversation. Um, 17, 17 years later, um, I, have, I have a sense of peace right now, to be honest. But it's, it's, but it's so important, and, I, and I'm glad you have that sense of peace. Um, and I've, I saw you on another interview. I think it was on All the Smoke. You was talking about how people always come up to you now talking about it. You was just in Vegas, and you said, yeah, like, 10 people came up to me and had people that weren't even born yet. And it's important that now that guys have the power of the media that they can use to tell the whole story, not the story that the media told, you know, two decades ago that people are still going off of as if that's factually what happened. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's another person that you included in the doc, um, Greg super and Jim Stowinski of the Auburn uh, Hills Police Department. And so they said 
And it's interesting when you're watching them. So my daughter, Imani, she said it like as soon as they said this. They said that usually they only come a few times a month. And then they acknowledged that there was a heightened rivalry of this game. And then they said, so, you know, they were they were they were on alert. They they saw, you know, they knew that this was going to be a different game. So then my daughter Imani said, Well, why wasn't there more security for the game? And I was like, that's Exactly. My point is, well, that's a great question. Where was all of the security? So I'm asking you, where was all the security that night? I have, I have the slightest idea. I mean, it, it was, we had some issues there um, the year before as well. Um, I do think it's a great balance on how you, how, you know, the interaction between players and fans, like you need, I think you both need each other. Um, that's what makes sports special. Um mm-hmm. The problem is that, you know, people feel like when they pay, you know, $20, 30 $40, $100, $200 for a ticket that they own you. Right. And that's not the case. Right. You own us. Right? You can't say, well, we pay your salary, right? So we get to do whatever. No, that's not the case. Okay. Right. Um, I don't know. Bro, we were in that building um, once that whole situation started. About, I think it was like right at 10 minutes, maybe a little over 10 minutes. Mm-hmm before we started seeing police officers. And when we saw them, it was only still a handful of them. It was only like three of them, right? right. Um, which tells you that it was never enough police at the game from the start, right? And um, you, as a player, you never go into a situation uh, thinking, man, I'm about to put this uniform on, but I'm about to end up into a, a, a position where I am literally fighting for my life. Right. Right, y'all seen one or two chairs being thrown, but it was it was more than that though. People were people were, you know, people were um, literally trying to hurt us, and right. uh, I wanted to, you know, one of the things that I, I I continuously communicated with, you know, Netflix and 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 Floyd, um, the director, is we want to make sure that again, this is not an assault on um, the NBA or anybody else. Right. Um, let's just tell the story of that night and, and all this other footage we have, we can just can it, bank it, burn it, whatever it may be. But when pe- when you're there and people spitting on you and hitting you with water bottles and you have knots and, and cuts and everything on you, by the time you get to the, the, uh, the locker room, um, that's a real problem, right? When the, when entertainment, when the, you know, so to be the value piece of why people are there, isn't isn't protected. I mean, it's it's very big of you to to continue to stress that you do not want to you know create an assault on the NBA. I, I say that's very big of you, but I will say, and this is just me talking, that David Stern and he's no longer here, but the way that he characterized the entire incident put all the blame on you all when there was enough blame to go around. And that was one of my biggest issues. So during this time, you know, I'm, I'm on the the executive board, I'm in the union. So I'm in the meetings and I'm hearing David Stern talk about the players as if we are animals, like I'm in the meeting and he's talking about us. Like we like we need to be controlled and we need to be subdued and, you know, we need to be all he's using all of these words. And then he started talking about the dress code and then he doesn't want to scare the fans and scare. Everything was 
was he doesn't want fans to no longer want to participate in the NBA, which would affect the bottom line. So it was all about the bottom line. And my issue was none of the fans were being held accountable for their actions. And if there's a balance, if they said, okay, the players were wrong and the fans were wrong, I will say, okay, wrong on both sides. But my issue was everything was just the players. The players are thugs. The players are doing this. We got to subdue the players. We have to do have this. They were having panels all over the place. They want to do all this different stuff towards the players. And that part, that part bothered because it wasn't just you all who are involved. It was the entire NBA that then were vilified. Did you, did you see that as well? Well, you know, in, in respect, um, and by the way, we shot this doc almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Stern was still alive, and we actually um, was trying to get him to actually be a part of it. Oh, interesting. Um, so this this doc didn't just happen. We shot we shot it almost. Two and he years and ago. he didn't want to he didn't, he didn't want to comment or didn't want to be a part of it. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember when it came in because I wasn't involved in his involvement. Um, I know we wanted to. Um, my biggest concern is. Um, you know, I look at things in multiple, and again, I, I'm I'm involved. Yeah, I've been involved in this in this deal from this in this entire broad deal from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, I look around um, my life, and I see how blessed I've I've, I've been. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen without the NBA, right? And so I'm very sensitive towards. Um, my relationship with them, right? Did, okay. they, did, did they handle the situation right? No, but I don't, I, actually, I don't even blame them. You know why I don't blame them? Because they did not know how to handle this, right? Um, they've never been in a position where um, you're under attack. I know, I know how I felt under attack. Mm-hmm. I knew how, I, you know, when I, I couldn't speak, but t- literally couldn't speak for 10 years and watching panels of people go to work. Right. Relentless. Right. Public opinion is set. Right. Mm-hmm. Narrative is done. Right. And so a business that is a billion dollar business, that by the way, I don't necessarily put the blame on, on David because he works for other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I felt that with the paces. Right, they didn't know how to handle it, so their way of handling is not handling at all. Right, no conversation, no conversation to the public, no nothing, and they knew everything I knew. Right, they knew everything I knew. NBA knew everything. Right, I knew. Right. right, and so you know their idea, and I and I hear what you're saying on that. Uh, I wasn't in that meeting, so I don't know, but um, if that was to happen today, then we it'd be a real problem, right? Because now you do have a template on how you uh, investigate uh, fair trial uh, in any situation like that. Um, I'm going to tell you another thing that the thing that probably bothered me the most uh, beyond that, you know, information getting out mm-hmm. is what it pulled my peers in there. Right. My, my, my fellow peers in the NBA, um, right. like they were under incredible attack. Right. I mean, it's like, you need to stop playing hip hop. Is the NBA adopting hip hop? You know, it's, it's guys with the cornrows, the tattoos, the gold chains. You know, some of them are felons and criminals. Like, who in the world in the NBA are felons? Right. 
Like, <laughs> I'm baffled about that. Like, who in the world is a felon? Oh, outside of me, when I got when I got the charge, they gave me a the charge. Right. Right. So, um, I man, it, I can go on and on about that, bro. I, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a bowl of mixed emotions, to be honest. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very well educated about that process because I went through every step of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw I saw what the NBA saw, um, the uncertainty that, that was presented to them, uh, the pressure that came not only from the media, but from sponsors. Right. And 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 I, I think that one of the things, and I I think that when and I felt this a lot of times when I was in the um, on the executive board and with the union and we're challenging the NBA on different things. And so sometimes with the media, they would switch the narrative to, are you not grateful for everything that the NBA has done for you? And I'm like, oh, yes, definitely. But you can still criticize something mm-hmm. that you're still grateful for. It's kind of like a, a, a paradox of how when somebody says, if you criticize something that your country does, that you're anti-American. Like, well, no, it doesn't have to be anti. I just want my country that I love to be better. I, I make that same correlation with the NBA, that I think that there are different things that need to be able to be improved. I think Adam Silver has done a great job mm-hmm. as far as improving a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. But but somebody has to point him out that this isn't the right thing, way that this should be done. And I think that in in, in terms of the NBA's relationship with they want to protect the fans, but they also have to protect the players. And for a long time, it just didn't seem that that was a priority. Now they're getting better. Now we've had a lot of different incidents just this past season. You know, some the the guys spit on um, Trey young, they poured the popcorn on Russell Westbrook during the wizards game or no, 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 it was with Dwight Howard. He wasn't with the wizards, but they ran out onto the court. He was with Philly and the police tackled him. The security tackled him right before a guy ran onto the court. So you're still having incidents with fans, but the but the NBA has done a better job of saying this won't be tolerated. Now, going back to back then, I will say I think they could have done a much better job of communicating to the fans what would be tolerated and what shouldn't be tolerated. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I, yeah. I, so, I, so they did try. Uh, I remember um, – some of the you know pre um, announcements when we were warming up when I went back it was a big you know it was big then on the jumbotron and you can hear them talking about parents and the fans you know how they act you know how they be you know they'd be they'd be put out so they did in all respect they did do that um, okay um, yeah I think this mindset of where we sit today when people still spitting on people and I always say this respectfully. Um, I don't care where I'm at. I can be in church, daycare, school, grocery store. Right. Whatever. I am a man first before anything. Right. Treat me as you want to be treated. Right. If you you cannot spit on me, you cannot hit me, you cannot throw stuff at me or on mm-hmm. me. Right. It is a cause and effect for all of that. I agree. Right. We are not animals. Right. So don't treat us like animals. Right. And so that thing is like, you know, it's interesting that um, like we see this, like, you know, like I was having these conversations. I remember somebody sent me something on social media, you know, when I was talking about baseball and um, and hockey. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they, it wasn't the fan, you know, players beating up the fans. I said, no, that, that wasn't the gist of the, the statement. My statement was 
that baseball has been brushing the mound for forever. Hockey is a real thing weekly on throwing the gloves off and you duke them up, right? You're right. knocking teeth out, knocking people out, and it's like they let them throw, 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 and then they finally break it up. Mm-hmm. The gist of what my statement was that they were never, never questioned right. on character, mm-hmm. right? On being a thug, on being um, a criminal. They're never vilified. Never, ever mm-hmm. vilified, right? It's showed, and it's like, oh, here we go. Right, as if it's a you know it's, it's entertainment, right, right. But we're put in a situation, and we're literally fighting for our lives, and all of a sudden we the ones that are in, in question, right. But where's that same energy, right? It is not about basketball or hockey. You're talking about culture that you're trying to vilify, because mm-hmm. right? now you, you're you're cracking back everything you know that you think black people like, like mm-hmm. hip hop like tattoos or like braids or whatever it may be that you said. Yep. Right. And so that's the real problem that we ultimately had and it stuck with us for a while. And I'll tell you you this. I remember my agent or asking me if I would ever consider cutting my locks after that. And I was like, no, why would I do that? He was like, it was just a question, just kind of floated it out there. And I, and I I was like, no, why why would I ever, you know, <laughs> want to cut my locks? Like, what is the reason for asking me that? But that was the notion around there is that we needed to conform ourselves to make the white fan base comfortable around us. And that was my my issue. I mean, I, I wrote a lot of articles back then. I quoted you a lot of different times. And, um, you know, I, I said that this is – I was so – because I knew the reason why they wanted to do the dress code. Yeah. And and simultaneously now, going back to where we're in the um, negotiations, we had a collective bargaining come up, and all of their issues were all towards dress code, stuff like that. Billy Hunter was like, well, listen, they're worried about that so often. Let us focus on the financial part. Let's focus on the BRI, the basketball-related income. Let's focus on making teams not be able to hoard money the way the Clippers always, always did and, and go while well, they're focused on that. And I was like, yeah, but this is disrespectful to us. <laughs> and he was like, well, yeah, that's true. But if we focus on this part while they're not looking over here, it will benefit us in the long run. And I was like, huh, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I get that, but I, I couldn't, it took me a while to get it and leave it alone because they were so hell bent on changing the image of the entire league and really trying to water. Remember, they, they had people, literally, when you come off the bus, they had somebody sitting there taking a camera, a picture of you, to see what your clothes were, and then they would mail that to whoever, and you would all of a sudden get a fine if your clothes weren't the correct. Like, they really took it far because they were so hell-bent on keeping their white fan base from being afraid of us. And I just – that – that 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 really that really got to me. Yeah, man. You can, can you imagine like um, feeling like you you the reason why this conversation is having has been oh, had. Got you, got you. Like, so you know, you, we were living that like you know, and then you, you got cats looking at us sideways, some peers looking at us sideways, like man, y'all the reason why, right? They uneducated too. You know what I mean? See, I, never th- I never blamed y'all for that though, but but oh, the way yeah. the media presented it, I can see why some players would. Start pointing the finger. I mean, I heard players, people 
whispering, saying that it's everybody's fault. Some people said Ben Wallace. Some people said Jamal Tinsley for telling him to take the foul. Some people, I'm like, wait, y'all are missing the point. None of that would have happened if the fan did. It, it is it is it's crazy because before your documentary, I was hearing people repeat that even as recently as a few years ago, we were talking about fans and hearing the media and different, you know, people in mainstream America. And it would, it would bother me because they bought into the narrative. So when I ask about you, did any of those media people who contributed to that false narrative ever come back and apologize to you? And you said you didn't expect it. I think that they should apologize. I think that they should all, you know, make public statements, especially after your documentary came out and say, yes, we were wrong. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, for me, and, and it's not about, it's a human part of, of how we live. You know, we have a conscience, mm-hmm. right? And at some point, if, if your conscience ain't on the good side of life, you know, you know, things tend to happen, you know, in your life in a negative way, right? If you're just a person that don't care about other people and care about the impact that you've had in a negative you know, standpoint, then, you know, got to take care of you in other ways. For me, I'm not waiting on anybody to help me, you know, come to me and apologize to me um, because I I didn't do the doc for that. Right. And I don't expect that to happen. I don't expect that to happen. Um, I just, you know, what is happening, what I want it to happen Mm -hmm. is actually happening. Right. So I remember two weeks ago before the doc, uh, two or three weeks ago, I was in, uh, in Las Vegas, coaching my son's eighth grade team. Okay, and you're doing a great job with that too. The whole A, I follow you with everything that you're doing with your AU program. So it's, no, I think it's great. I appreciate yeah. you. definitely. Um, it was at least over ten people, at least minimum ten people asked me about, hey man, what's up with that bro? I remember you guys, you know, punching and swinging and fighting. And I said, man, look, you know, it was much bigger than that. Um, got a doc coming out, you know, August 10. Mm-hmm. So I. I I had a tournament the weekend here in Dallas uh, at my sporting facility. And we had over 202 teams um, in uh, the tournament. And the narrative has significantly changed, right? When people say, man, oh, I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know, man. I, like, man, man, God bless you, brother. Like, I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate the sacrifices or whatever it is. Right. right? That's, that, that's it, right? That's or the people who are reaching out you know, saying, hey, you know, you know, I was a part of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I I thought what the media said was true, so I helped facilitate that information. Mm-hmm. I apologize. I forever be a, you know, a fan of yours, and I'm a, you know, whatever it may be, that's, that's right. a conversation. Gotcha. Right? When you do a doc like that, you just want to have the conversation. You know, you, you, if people don't like you, they, don't, they ain't going to never like you, no matter what it is. Right. Right. And so for me, it's just more about, hey, we've had that conversation. Now you see what I saw. Like, however you feel beyond that point, that's on you. Right. But I, I got to say this is that everybody, thousands of people, and I say thousands mm-hmm. of messages. And I've tried my best to, to, to say thank you and, you know, like whatever they said to each one of them because they took the time out to write me. I really appreciate you. Like that helped me move on. It helped me close this chapter because um, when you when you're all and you know this, when you all into your craft and, and you put so much into it, so much sacrifices is made just in general to be a professional athlete because you have to, you know, you have family and whatever else. Right. Um, you you have to become almost a savage to your process 
And sometimes you lose and you lose certain things in your life when you're going through that process because you want success so bad. Mm. Right? And then when that is taken from you in certain ways, um, like it sits on you. Like it really does. It sits on you and, and it ain't something that's easily um, shakable. And to see and feel the love and respect of what we went through that night, and even just me particularly went, went through, um, I got to say thank you to everybody that reached out to me. That's great. That's great. You know, one of the things, um, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about another topic, um, and that's about uh, Meta World Peace. And I was watching um, All the Smoke, and you told um matt barnes that you you, um that you all have spoken recently you sat down at the big three and you um had a chance to talk and it was i was so happy to hear that um you know because you you know guys talk i know that y'all weren't on good terms for a while and there's a lot of friction and things like that but that was great to see that you all sat down and, and spoke talk to me about about that reconciliation process and it was it was uh, something that was much much needed. Um, we all you know we which we knew and what we knew now back then when we were 23, 24 years old. Um, I was, you know, I went through a process in Portland where it was like fight, 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 like for everything, like every inch, every minute. Like I wasn't playing. I had to keep showing my worth. Like it was like I, you know I went through that for four years. So, but through that process, I went through two conference finals. Right. So I saw it. I understood like what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like when I left there, it was like only about one thing. Win, 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 win. Right. That's it. And show people who you are. Right. Because I felt I felt slighted for four straight years, right? By not right. giving a consistent, you know, um opportunity. Um, and so when I got there, it was like I wasn't really trying to hear nothing. But hey, let's come in here and work. Right. Right. And I was young. I was 24 years old. I did not know anything about mental health. I mean, you know, this like I know it. If you speak in mental health back then, um, it is devastating right. to you because nobody's educated about it. You know, when you hear mental health, you say, oh, he's crazy. Right. right. Not wanting to look, you would not want to, you know, put together a career and crazy in the same sentence and think that you got any longevity in, in that particular sport. That's right. Uh, I think the Pacers did a good, a really good job on holding it together. Um, I became, you know, I, I try over and over and over and over to like reach out, you know, like, hey, Ron, let's go to dinner. Like this, that, you know, it's always Ron, let's do this. And he finally kept saying no. And then he kept like wanting us to quit. And I was like, wait, wow, does he, does he not like me or like the team? We not want to be here. Right. And it started to eat at me like a virus. Mm. And bro, like I just was so angry all the time with him because he would like, like just like he'll call press conferences in the parking lot somewhere, you know, and we're getting the information when the media is getting the information, mm. right? Or even in many cases after the media, the media got the information, like it was not, it was no conversation amongst the players, you know, on you know with him saying hey he felt this way and so i did not know how to handle that and as a as a brother um as a teammate i mean you know this we're together all the time 
Right. We spend a lot of time with those with, 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 with each other in the locker rooms and everywhere else, planes, bus rides. And I wish um, that I knew more because if I knew more, then my aggression towards him doesn't expediate his anxiety okay. or his dislike about whether it's me or being on the team or that basketball environment, right? It just was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not messing with you. Like we just played. And then after that, boom, no conversation. Mm. And I think it's important for people to know is that when we shot the doc, right? We, again, we shot it separately. Never had any, I, the only conversation I had with them about the doc was, you know, the initial conversation, Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. You know, it's a Netflix deal. You know, all I need you guys to do is just be open and candid about your, how you viewed it. Right. Uh, we never stole each other at any point during the, the filming of that doc. Uh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. We shot separately. And so when I saw him describe his process of that mm-hmm. night, right. You know, his five count, right. How he, you know, having to, you know, really kind of, you know, take things in It not only put a lot of perspective on that night, right. On how, when Ben Wallace pushed him, he was already, that started his process. Right. right? He then goes to lay down right away because he's trying to get himself together, right? Right. Ben throws the, throws the, the uh, big stand at him. It now takes him up to level two. Right. And the water is boiling. We see the, we see the bubbles about to boil out of the pot. Mm-hmm. And then when, you know, when he, because he had jumped up, now he, he had told him, you better get him. Yeah, you better get him. Right, lay back down, and then when the cup came, it was like level three, and that was like the height, the most heightened level. And so I understood it, right? It, it made complete sense for me. But what it did also is it put it in perspective of how he was, how he handled things as a teammate on a regular basis, mm. right? How when things got tight in its most intense form, whether it's our level of communication to each other or in games, right? It's the times in games. Like I remember he. We're in Memphis and like didn't have a good game and Coach Jellin or whatever he went in and he knocked over a hot water um, like the um, heat packs that you know, remember they used to put them in the hot water yeah 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 <laughs> he knocked it over and and it damn got on everybody people jumping out of the way I'm just piping hot water right we've seen reactions of him you know breaking the camera right, right in New York right coming through the tunnel mm-hmm. right and it all was like a flashback. Right, flashback at me is like, damn, like he's been he's been trying to handle this forever. Yeah. And while we weren't about wins and losses, he's worrying about how he's gonna handle his life daily. Right. And so I felt a certain way when I saw that. Uh, and I thought, you know, obviously we we talked multiple times um before and especially after the doc, um, about different things. But uh shout out to Ron. I, I can't call him meta. Uh, for being so um, open uh, and honest and vulnerable, right? Because we know media and, and public opinion right. are cool sometimes. So I had to say that, man, because you know th- that meant everything to me. I did actually, I, and I also didn't see, I didn't know he said what he said um, when they won the championship and he was on the court with Steve Smith and all of them. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I never saw that. Mm. Like, somebody told me I was so mad with him. 
I didn't want to see nothing, hear nothing. <laughs> no, mm-mm. Like I, I, when I did his doc, I said I wasn't happy for that he won no championship. I was mad as hell. Right. <laughs> All the stuff he did with us, man. I, man, why would he get in? I don't have one. But I was, I was, I, even at that point, I wasn't mature enough to, to understand what this man was going through. Wow. And then when he won the championship, just if everybody didn't see it, like the first thing that he said um, before he answered any questions is he talked about you guys. And he said, I was supposed to win one with them. And I have so many regrets. And I felt like a coward because I left. And he's using it. And they're live on TV after they won the championship. And I remember seeing that like, wow, he's still he's still really hurt by this. You know, like he he when he talked about how he didn't handle situations well, he acknowledged it. But he said he didn't know how to handle situation. That's what he was right. working through. And that's the mental health part that really was not existence in the NBA just before, before a few years ago. Yeah. And, um, and I would say this, and I got to say this to E. I mean, I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off. No, it's all right. Um, people, when we hear mental health, that is so wide range. I mean, I'm watching myself over, over 17 years having mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that means I don't have the same mental health issue as Ron right. that deals with any, you know, in, any level at that point. But it's more of, of emotional distress, right, or a level of of sadness about something. Um, and we watched uh, Naomi, Naomi go through that now, mm-hmm. her process from the Olympics. And like I watched her yesterday on television doing an interview right. about crying, right? Like oh, about Haiti. Yeah, she about Haiti, down. right? Yeah. And it's just like. Like people, we gotta we gotta understand what that is. Like you know, we're all vulnerable for mental health issues. Just some people's severity uh, is more significant than others. Right, right. But I but I was really glad to see that y'all you know went back and started talking and everything like that. Really happy to see it. And people, you know, when I remember a lot of discussion about when he laid on the um, podium, only on the um, platform, whatever it's called, um, and he was trying to calm himself down. And so many people didn't understand what was happening. And, and it's just, it's, you know, with the with mental health, they, like you said, they just didn't get it. And they're just now starting to understand or even be willing to attempt to understand that we're not robots. Yep. That we do have things that we deal with like everyday people. That we have different emotions that we have to figure out how to manage like everyday people do. And that was the problem for so long. So many in society looked at us literally as robots, like video game characters. Like they could just start the game and we just play. And that, that was really it. There's no feelings, no anything like that. And that's just, that's not reality. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I remember retiring um, and found myself in like, you know, a neighborhood um, or community like cookouts and all kind of stuff. And, you mm-hmm. know, so, you know, when I'm speaking about things that relates to really all of us, like, you know, everybody that's at the cookout or, or dinner or whatever it is, and people looking at me like, but why, why would why would that bother you? You know, you have money, you have like, I'm like, right. <laughs> like that, no, bro, that's that's our job. All of us have different jobs. My job just pays more than 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 many other jobs, right? right. I, I I do get off a certain time every day and go home and deal with the same challenges, right? Whether it's family, you know, friends, you know, whatever it is, you know, in, in your relationship, you deal with the same challenges. You, you bleed, you cry, you feel the same things. As you're a human. human. Like you're human. 
Yes. Yeah, so people stop acting like we, like you said, machines and we don't go through everything. Yeah, we, we walk into those courts and sometimes heavy hearted. Right. Right. Because we've lost a loved one or we have something going on in our family and you know, we're not allowed to, you know, to, 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 to miss work like many other people. Yeah. Right. Got to go to work, got to perform or you lose your job. You don't get paid. Right. Same thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I found out from your documentary that Ben Wallace had just lost his brother, I guess, right. A little bit before the game. I didn't know that. And that's what he was dealing with um, at that time. Have you ever spoken to Ben Wallace about that or have you even spoken to him at all? You know, since then? No, I've never spoken to Ben about that. I, I'm I didn't know, um, you know, Ben was uh, a shout out to Ben for, you know, being a part of that. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ben said on, on, so I got, so I got multiple cuts of the doc. Um, one of, him acknowledging that he thought that, and it's not on the final, on the final one, um, but he acknowledged um, in his interview that he knew that either him or Ron was going to be gone for the year. And I thought that was huge. Now, again, it didn't make the final doc, the, the final version of the doc, but when I saw that, I was like, damn, he said that? Hmm. Right? Like, it, it was crazy to hear him say that. Um, yeah. so, but shout out to him uh, for, you know, for accepting, you know, being a part of, of the doc and telling his version of the story. Um, we don't know what we don't know, especially when you lose a loved one. Right. My goodness. Right. Like, you know, does, does he file go back and forth? I didn't think that the file was hard, honestly. Especially yeah. back then, yeah. right? You know, we that that's a regular play, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it show. I remember one of the clips of she trying to, you know, get me off the box, and he bodied me all the way across, you know, in, right. in the dock. But I didn't think that was a hard foul. But in his mind, he's mm-hmm. already emotionally out of it because his brother just died. Yep. Right. Yep. Then goes back to what we said. We just got done talking about. We have real lives and yep. we do real things. When you see us inside, you know, on with those jerseys on, on that hardwood. Man, it's so interesting just looking at the situation that happened with Shakari Richardson. And, you know, she had lost her mom before. And people are like, well, you still have to do what you're supposed to do. You're still supposed to, you know, train for the Olympics. You're supposed to go. And it's like, wow, no compassion that she just lost her mom. But, you know, and it's it's just interesting that 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 these topics are coming up, but people are still having the same reactions as not looking at athletes as humans or having the right to feel a human emotion because of the money that we make. And I think that's part of it as well. Um, But really being able to show, and one of the things that your documentary showed, um, besides just showing the the, both sides of everything, they show the humanity of, of everyone. Mm -hmm. People will see meta, you know, in a, in a different light from watching your documentary. Right. Um, they'll be able to see you in a different light, you know, because you were always kind of quiet. You didn't really like to do say too much in the media kind of after that. You was kind of you kind of stayed out of the media. I was mad as hell, bro. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, but people are now being able to to understand you more from watching the documentary. And and it's it's I got I can't say it enough. It was really, really well done. Um uh, Two, two, two more questions. I, are you going to put out some of the things that didn't make no. the, the final cut? Because it seemed like those are pretty, like a lot, it seemed like a lot didn't make it. Well, um, I think 
the objective is is, is set and done. Okay. Right. Um, I am probably I am mentally, physically, emotionally worn down. I imagine um, from talking about it. Like I just want to move on. Uh, I, I do believe, like I said, I've gotten the things, the very thing that I wanted to get out of it. But also, too, um, yeah, a lot of people's like, Jermaine, where, where have you been? Even uh, you know, with Matt and those guys, so yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't, you know, say much on social media. You don't. Right. I've been asked to do television multiple times, and I've always was, I was, I was sensitive, you know, because of the media situation. Um, so I never wanted to be involved. I want to go back uh, to my foxhole, you know, live my life uh, locally, um, impact my community, um, and and go that route. Um, but what this doc has done not just telling the story, it has been a counseling session for myself because mm-hmm. when I look at it, and I've looked at it 16 times. Wow. 16 times. And every time I watch it, it helps me, it resonates something else to me. Um, and that's important for me to close the gap uh, emotionally, mentally, not just for that stuff, but other what that night reminded me of, you know, post that, right? Things that I went through. Um, and now I'm, I'm more excited about um, being back out, you know, speaking, you know, to people when I talk about, I'm talking about nationally, you know, mm-hmm. um, television interviews, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I, I, this, that chapter is not closed and I can really focus on moving forward, um, you know, a little bit deeper into my second chapter. That's great. Are you going to executive produce any more documentaries on other topics? Uh, yeah. So I probably will. I'm working actually on a show right now. I'm okay. really big on the youth side, youth sports side. Um, we've uh, Kate Cunningham, who just was number one pick, uh, is out of my program uh, last year. R.J. Hampton, um, okay. Terry uh, Jemias Ramsey were all drafted last year. Drew Timmy, that's at Gonzaga, uh, out of my program. This all kids that I coached. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in the five years of what's called Drive Nation, is built uh, in in uh, Dallas, uh, Texas. Uh, we have about 2,000 kids. Um, uh, shout out to my daughter. Uh, she's the real reason why I built it. Um, I'm very heavily invested into youth sports and, and what that is and what that means to not only our kids, uh, but our communities, right? And many cases, uh, when I look at youth sports, I, I use basketball in general, um, it's African-American driven, right? And so what I'm seeing is that we don't have the right tools and information for these kids to have an opportunity to do something that very few get a chance to do. And I'm not even talking about the NBA. I'm talking about going to college, right, for free. And so what we want to do, we want to be a leader in, in the space, and we want to tell these parents and these kids, you know, the truth of what the process is and hold them accountable for the truth, right? If you truly say you want to be what you say you want to be. Um, so this is one of those things where um, – I'm excited about it and looking forward to being involved with the documentary side. You know, that's the side that I might even start to look into. I mean, because it's there's so many stories that need to be told mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like told like you inspired me to even want to look into because there's so, you know, I mean, literally for 20 years, I didn't want to stay on the topic too much. But I had to at least say it that 20 years people have been misreporting all of this stuff and characterizing you guys in a certain way. And I think they owe y'all an apology. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, but, but that just also shows the power of the media. Yeah, we, media we, we, we're waiting for white folks to, to do that. We, we'll be waiting forever, bro. We'll be right. angered. So I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm moved on. I ain't, if I see him, the only person like Stephen A, he, 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 he owes Jack an apology for sure because 
he was one of the things, and we actually cut his down. Like he went to work on Jack, bro. He uh. went to work on Jack, bro. And it's he still have a small part in there when it first comes on, saying that Stephen Jackson deserves uh, the, the harshest penalty out of anybody. Right? Well, what are you talking about? Like, what do you like? And it's so funny, man, because when he goes into his thing, like he just you know got you know smacked on the hand about something he said, I think three, four weeks ago, and he wants to put out a public apology. Now, what if somebody takes that and run your ass down for 10 to 20 years, you know, and, and you're judged off that and your job is impacted off that? How would you feel? I mean, that was that was the issue that Kwame had with him. I mean, yeah. that he just vilified him and he was literally a 17-year-old kid and he vilified him for years. And, that, and so even with that, I think that he owes a lot of people an apology. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Stephen A. Smith in particular owes a lot of people an apology. But then also, he gets rewarded for doing what he does. So it's coming from somewhere that he's allowed to do that. But that that opens up a whole different conversation. But it's uh, but you already know what that is, though. They, they need they need they need a black face that's going that's going to vilify other black faces as well. I mean, he's it seems like he's harsher on on the black athlete more than he is on anybody else. But the thing for me is that, like, the way he speaks, and he always speaks in the manner of somebody told me this. Yeah. Like, you, like you mean tell me you can report on what somebody else told you because right. they told you, and that makes yeah. it true? Yeah. Come on, bro. Yeah. Come on, you got to be better than that. His anonymous sources where he says, like, somebody's just texting me from inside the locker room. Like, ain't nobody texting you. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, stop that, Steve. Like, what are you talking about? Bro? Not at all, man. You know, like you said, I mean, that's we're going on two decades. And there's a reason why you was having, you know, media silence. Like you said, you know, you were had a lot of anger inside of you from this. And that's the part that people have to be able to understand, that it's not just an event that happened and you're watching it like it's a, you know, like a, it's a YouTube fight and you're just enjoying seeing all the things. These are people's lives that were affected. And I really commend you for, you know, showing all different parts of really fair and balanced presentation of everything that happened and a really complete presentation. So much respect to you uh, for everything that you did with that. But I appreciate it, brother. And again, man, I, I'm a fan of what you do, man. I, I appreciate the honesty, uh, the transparency. Um, you know, I think it's, it's much needed uh, in, in many ways, especially in today's era um, when it comes to just having the conversation about what's going on and giving people an opportunity to to speak back at, you know, at the same time. So anytime you need me, brother, just call me, let me know. I'm, I'm on. I appreciate it. You know, we go back. We back to in the same high school, 96 class. Uh, So we would run past each other. I remember running past each other in Vegas and different tournaments. And, you know, you were special. That was a special class with everybody that we had. Kobe's class, of course, went for Walton, Lester Earl. Some people that people don't remember. But we had a a special high school class. Rip Hamilton, Mike Bibby. Yeah. Even Jackson. Like, it Mm -hmm. it was a lot. It was a lot of people. Yeah, those are the people that people remember. But there was mm-hmm. other people that they. I mean, we had Ronnie Fields in our class. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah, we had we had a special class. But much respect to you, man, and success in everything that you're doing. So much respect. Thank you. Wish the same to you. Thank you for listening to the rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. 
You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com, along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AtonThomas36. Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.